Welcome back to the Stanford Political Journal podcast. This week, we've come up with two options for the title of this very podcast, but we want your help to decide which one to use. Would you rather get your weekly dose of politics from The Winds, we'll let you know which way they blow each week, or The Axe in Politics, nationwide and campus news fresh from the farm? Shoot us an email at kaylamg at stanford.edu to voice your opinion. Now let's get to the politics. I'm Kayla. I'm Rory. And I'm Lucas. First off, we've got the FBI versus Apple. Right, so as most of you have probably heard, Apple received a court order from the FBI requiring them to create a new operating software that would, quote, circumvent important security features, end quote, of iPhones, essentially allowing anyone who got their hands on the software to hack into any iPhone in their physical possession. The FBI said they needed such a software to get into the iPhone that was used by one of the suspected shooters of the San Bernardino shooting that happened in December. In response, Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, came out swinging, stating in a letter released via the company's website that Apple will not comply with the FBI's demands, out of concerns that the technology may fall into the wrong hands and that it could set a dangerous precedent for the future. This has certainly brought the debate over citizens' privacy rights back to the forefront of the national political scene. Both Apple and the FBI have called upon Congress to sort the issue out. Other technology companies, such as Google and Microsoft, have rallied around Apple for similar privacy concerns. But the specifics of this particular case aside, the idea of precedent really is key here for both sides. The FBI claims that they just need the technology for this one extraordinary case, but Apple and other companies with large collections of user data worry that if they're faced to comply with the order, such requests from the government could become more routine. Although I'm not too familiar with the actual technology aspect of all of this, I do see why these companies are so quick to be on the defensive. It seems reasonable that if they were to compromise the security of devices, like the iPhone, by building these backdoors for the government, that it would also make the devices more susceptible to hackers and foreign governments, thus endangering the privacy rights of their customers. Plus, the government has never really been allowed to compel third parties to do things for them, and that's what this court order is essentially doing. Because iPhones are so specifically designed to only accept software designed by Apple, the FBI can't just write the program themselves. They need Apple to do it. If the order is blocked in the appeals court, the precedent would be that the government can't com- cannot compel private tech companies to do these things for them unless they get regulations passed at the federal level that would legalize such actions. And, you know, if anything, this is just another example of the way technology has really severely complicated the relationship between government and the privacy rights of its citizens. Now, moving on, we've got some big updates on the presidential election. The once perceived most likely Republican nominee, John Ellis Bush, also known as Jeb, exclamation point, pulled out of the race last week. And yes, you heard that right. Jeb is in fact an acronym for John Ellis Bush, meaning that every time you say Jeb Bush, you are redundantly saying John Ellis Bush Bush. For this campaign, it seems that his name, much like our country, has had too, too many Bushes. <laughs> Luckily, Jeb left us with some great moments to look back upon. Let's listen. Who is your favorite superhero? Marvel, they have in parentheses, and why? Do you think the superheroes... This is the second time I've been asked this question. What's up with this? People want to know. (laughs) Someone someone told me there's a new Marvel show. It's about about Ant-Man or something like that. You Um, like that one? No, I haven't met met Ant-Man yet. You're more of a DC Comics guy? (laughs) uh, I like watching the movies, and I 
I, I wish I owned Marvel. <laughs> as, a, as someone that believes in capitalism. Yeah. I don't know, I'm kind of old school. I kind of like, uh, I like the old school guys, like Batman. A little dark these good days. Good choice, good choice. I saw that there's a, a Supergirl is on, is on TV. I saw it on the, when I was working out this morning. There's an ad promoting Supergirl. She looked kind of, she looked pretty hot. <laughs> I don't know what channel it's on, but I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> What would you do to... Oh, that'll make news. Jeb Bush running in the back of the pack here still clings to hope. Can Jeb Bush be a surprise story here on caucus night? Yes, since the expectations are so low. <laughs> well, you have succeeded there, Governor. <laughs> Mission accomplished. So here's my pledge to you. I will be a commander-in-chief that will have the back of the military. I won't trash talk. I won't be a divider-in-chief or an agitator-in-chief. I won't be out there blowharding, talking a big, big game without backing it up. I think the next president needs to be a lot quieter, but send a signal that we're prepared to act in the national security interests of this country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. But was Jeb out? We've now got to seriously entertain the idea of Trump becoming the Republican nominee. He just won Nevada, and he'll likely do well on Super Tuesday. By March 15th, more than half the total number of delegates will be allocated, and Trump leads in nearly all of these upcoming states. This is really quite horrifying considering his racist stances, sexist nature, and really fundamentally flawed personality. The Republican Party really didn't do enough to address his rise on the national political scene. But to their credit... They tried to start doing something in last night's debate. Amidst Trump's usual name-calling and hand-waving spectacle, Cruz and Rubio both started to take shots at the front-runner, delighting the audience in the process. Here are some highlights. His problem he's got is he really doesn't know about the lines. The biggest thing we've got, and the reason we have no competition, is because we have lines around the state, that, and you have you have that, essentially We already mentioned that as part of my plan. Yeah, I know yeah. what that is, I, but what else is part of your plan? Much. So your only thing much. is to get rid of the lines around the states. What else is part of your health care plan? the lines around the states That's mean? your only plan. And it plan. was almost done. No, no. You know All what right, that does? I'll give him time to mind. He can tell us his plan. Excuse me. That brings in competition. When you get rid of the lines, it brings in competition. So instead of having one insurance company taking care of New York or Texas, you'll have many. They'll compete, and it'll be a beautiful thing. Right. And so that's the only part of the plan? Just the lines, the in interstate well, competition? No, the, the nice part about the plan, you'll have many different plans. You'll have competition. You'll have so many different plans. But now he's I repeating himself. No, I'm not repeating. No, no, no. Him repeat himself five times four weeks ago. And I, I saw want to you tell repeat you, yourself five times five meltdown. seconds ago. I watched him. <laughs> I watched him melt down on the stage like let's, I've never seen anybody. Let's say, let's I thought he came out of the a swimming pool. I said, well, let's talk, let's I talk see him about repeat himself plan. every night. It says five things. Everyone's dumb. Rubio. He's going to make America great Senator again. Rubio. We're going to win, win, win. Senator He's Rubio, winning in please. the polls. Please and the lines around the state. Every night. Same thing. Senator Rubio, you will have time to 
respond. If you right. just let Mr. Trump respond to what yeah, you just posted. Yeah, he's going to give us a plan him. now, right? If, okay. you, if you could talk a little bit more about your plan. I know you talked about the interstate. No, no, uh, we're going to have many different plans because there's going to be competition. Said it again. <laughs> there's going to be competition. There is going to be competition among all of the states and the insurance companies. They're going to have many, many different plans. To such plans. an extent is that our businesses cannot compete with them. Our workers lose their and jobs. So you make them but in you China wouldn't know and anything Russia. about it because you're a lousy Well, I don't know anything man. about bankrupting four right. companies. No, you I, bankrupt I, I know, four companies. You know what? I don't know anything about you know what? starting That's a university. Cool. That time. was a fake university. First of all, a fake time. university. That's called. Okay, there are people that borrow thirty-six thousand dollars to time, go to Mr. Trump University, and they're suing him now. Thirty-six thousand dollars to go to a university. And by the way, That's a fake school. And by the way, and you know what they got? I've they got to take I've a picture with a cardboard cutout of Donald Trump. And by the way, that's what they I've got for the thirty-six thousand dollars. I want to move on. They actually did a very good job, but I won most of the lawsuit. Senator, I want to bring in, I, I want to bring in my colleague Maria Celeste. Excuse me, hey, Wolf, let okay. me ask you. Am I allowed to respond to this? You're allowed. You've been responding. Okay, well, let me, no, I haven't. I really haven't. He's talking the whole thing. Here's the guy. Here's the guy that buys a house for 179,000. He sells it to a lobbyist who's probably here for 380,000, and then legislation is passed. You tell me about this guy. This is what we're going to have. Here's the guy president. that inherited 200 million dollars. If he hadn't inherited $200 million, you know where Donald no, no, Trump no, would be no, right now? No, no, Selling no. watches in Manhattan. I thought I wrong. I wrong. I took That's that what is so wrong. We'll work on that. I took $1 million and I turned it into oh, okay. $10 billion. I borrowed one then million dollars. Then release the tax return so we can see how much money he makes. I borrowed $1 million. Uh, I turned it into $10 billion. But again, it now may be too little too late. The bottom line is that if Rubio doesn't start winning states soon, Donald Trump will glide to the nomination. The strategy of finishing in a close second or third until Trump's campaign dies off on its own is simply not working. Now for some Stanford news. On Wednesday night at the law school, there was a quote-unquote debate held on the health and ethics of eating versus not eating meat. Because organizers of the event were vaguely aware protests might occur, there was an extensive security presence there to prevent non-student protesters from getting in. But they got in anyway. A group of eight animal rights activists disrupted the event before it began, shouting over and over at John Mackey, CEO of Whole Foods, and then at the crowd. It's not meat! It's violence! Wait, why were they shouting at John Mackey? Good question, and it's one that many in the audience were probably also thinking at the time. Mackey was there to represent the position that eating meat is both unethical and unhealthy, the side that the activists were also on. So it all may have been a bit misguided. But let's not pretend that this was even a debate. The actual event, after being delayed by the protests, was not very exciting or informative. The organizers invited two high-profile speakers, both of whom have spent the majority of their lives dedicated to this topic, to argue the case for vegetarianism against two Stanford sophomores with some debate experience but no real relation to the subject matter. It was the closest thing you could get to literal straw men. In other campus news, on Sunday, all hell broke loose when the Stanford Review released an article arguing for a total overhaul of the current humanities requirements for undergraduates. An accompanying petition called for the elimination of the current thinking matters requirements to be replaced by a two-quarter Western civilization requirement. And things heated up pretty quickly in this one. 
after the article and petition were released, there was an enormous backlash around campus. An article written by Static, a site for Stanford activists, four op-eds, a column, and an editorial in the Daily, and countless email threads surfaced soon after, most of them not very friendly toward the review. In addition to the formal published reactions, social media commentary was rife with frustration. As one Facebook user put it, quote, This is an interesting survey of how deeply broken the conversation on our campus is. End quote. A change.org petition is also circulating to unite students who believe that you know, there should be a greater emphasis on the humanities at Stanford, but that a narrow focus on Western civilizations may not be the best way to achieve that. In the last few days, things have become even more heated. In response to the negative reactions, the review published an article defending their position, titled, Don't Rush to Remove the West from SLEE, authored by an anonymous self-proclaimed member of SLEE, Stanford Student Liberal Education Program, who claims to also be a low-income student of color. It is unclear how the student was determined to also be a core member of FLIP, Stanford's first-generation low-income partnership, but soon thereafter, both the student and the review came to an understanding that the student had been kicked out of FLIP as a result of writing the review article. The review's editor-in-chief defended their anonymous writer with a new article called Stanford Low-Income Advocacy Group Suspends Member on Suspicion of Writing Review Article. The fight then proceeded to go back and forth between the review and FLIP, when FLIP released two statements denying claims that they had kicked out this, the group member from the organization. The review responded with yet another article, this one with screenshots of a chat on GroupMe, a popular messaging system, that show the anonymous writer was removed for privacy reasons. There is no evidence to prove or disprove that any member was actually removed from the organization. Now this entire controversy has consumed campus conversation, but the back and forth extremes on both sides may not be the most productive. Neither truly tries to engage with the other side critically, and there exists a great lack of nuance to the discussion. Amidst the chaotic discourse, it seems as if many have lost sight of the two real issues at hand here. One, do we need a greater emphasis on the humanities at Stanford? And two, if so, how do we successfully achieve that greater emphasis? Right, and the problem here is that the Stanford Review brought both issues to the table at once. They combined a desire for greater emphasis on the humanities with their specific solution on how to achieve it. This left those who desire greater emphasis on humanities but do not agree with the review's proposed solution in a really rather awkward position. Signing the petition would imply an endorsement of the review's proposed solution. However, not signing the petition would do nothing to further the call for the greater emphasis on humanities at Stanford, a goal many seem to agree on. We believe that there is a middle ground to be found as these conversations continue to be had. We'll keep you updated on the controversy as it continues. Our last story is the announcement of the brand new Knight Hennessy Scholars Program, an endeavor targeted at incoming graduate students. Quote, we wanted to create something enduring that would be unlike anything else currently available to the world's brightest minds, and that would make the biggest impact possible towards solving global challenges affecting the environment, health, education, and human rights, end quote, said President John Hennessy. However, some take issue with the scholarship and its honorary supporters, John Hennessy and Philip Knight. Knight was the former CEO of Nike, a company that has been accused of human rights violations, and Hennessy has been accused of hypocrisy after ignoring campus climate change protests, yet endorsing this scholarship. One spectator commented on Facebook, quote, We need a leader committed to educating the next generation of learners, practitioners, change makers, and dare I say, activists. 
not the next generation of entitled tech bros who don't care about their neighbors or their fellow citizens, end quote. So that was a lot of news, but thanks for sticking with us through it all. Remember to let us know what podcast you'd rather listen to, The Wind or The Axe in Politics, by emailing us at kaylamg at stanford.edu. Thanks again for listening. Join us again next Friday for your weekly dose of politics, news, and insightful commentary.